Welcome to Energy Matters to You. Today is August 29th, 2019. Energy Matters to You is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. The Energy Matters to You podcast seek to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. We're your co-host. My name is Leo Ryan. And is is Ron Gooley out there? He is. Good morning, Leo. How are you? I'm doing good, Ron. I'm doing good. August 29th, end of the summer here. We've, we've had a pretty productive uh, Energy Matters to your summer, haven't we? I think it's a good segue for the fall. Um, we'll be seeing a lot of our industry friends in the near future. So I'm sure we'll have some new guests on the show very shortly. I just registered yesterday for National Grids Vendor Day uh, in October. That's always a, a good reunion energy matters to you. And Lighthouse is going to be there in force, right? Lighthouse, yeah, we have a booth there and it's always a busy day. Yeah, it's a very well attended show. And as you pointed out, there are a number of uh, energy matters to you alumni that are in the in the crowd there. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that's, that's a good day. Yeah, it's both Eversource and, and National Grid get out there. You connect all the vendors, so I appreciate that that day. And the venue is great; it's a lot, a lot of fun to be there. All right, so we got a, a great guest with us today. We've got uh, John Chimanis, who's the managing director at uh, Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure. And this is a really good follow-on to um, the discussion we had with Stephen Thomas from Asia Focus, where you know Stephen was talking about companies that are trying to to make it in Asia, and his statement was that. You know, if uh, if they really want to go after a global marketplace, you can you can introduce yourself in the United States, but the largest marketplace for energy is in is in Asia. Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure and John Chemins in particular are working on some of those large energy projects. Most of them are are domestic, but uh, a real good perspective on what it takes to pull together a project, you know, who the people are, how to how to arrange the financing, and uh, we'll get. Um, uh, John, to tell us a bit more, but one of the things that distinguishes Kendall's sustainable infrastructure is their relationships with local partners. They really put a lot of priority on knowing who they're working with and, and building their relationship. So uh, well, without further ado, John Chimanis, Managing Director for Kendall, in, uh, Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure. Welcome to Energy Matters to you. Good morning, Ron and Leo. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So been to the website, took a bit around, but um, give you a, a, a firsthand voice to tell us, uh, you know, how did Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure get started and, and what is the mission? Absolutely. Well, I co-founded the company in about 2012, 2013 timeframe. Prior to that, I was working at a company called Edison Mission Energy in Southern California, which was a large IPP, 10,000 megawatts under control largely coal. And I was there as one of the people in the wind energy, largely the wind energy team, developing these utility scale wind projects. But what was really nice, because we were a large energy company, we had exposure to things like solar and natural gas and coal. And it really formed a very holistic background to, to energy for me. I always knew that I wanted to keep staying in the space. So in 2012, when I moved back to the East Coast, from California, I, uh, I decided the best thing to do would be to actually start my own business and take some of the good, add a little bit more to it. And that's how Kendall Sustainable was born. 
And what we did was we focused on a segment called distributed generation. We use the term distributed generation, DG. A lot of people may use the term CNI. Um, some people, maybe some large commercial. Basically, I describe it as pretty much anything larger than you know, 200 kilowatts on up to about 10 megawatts is sort of where we're operating. And we, we work a lot in solar, but we also do uh, some distributed hydro projects. We're also working on potentially some uh, water treatment projects as well. That's interesting. You know, before we uh, move you too far away from your, your roots there, you had some really interesting projects when you were with Edison. Can you tell us a little bit about some of, some of those big projects? Because it's early days and they were they kind of moved the needle on some, some large distributed energy renewable projects. Well, sure. Uh, I mean, we built a 100-megawatt wind energy facility in, in New Mexico. Uh, called the High Lonesome Project, which was a great project right on a, a very nice butte that was, was jutting out. Um, I was also involved in a 150-megawatt project down in southern Texas, which has actually become quite a hotbed lately of new development. So, yeah, and, you know, we had stuff all up through the Midwest and um, Pacific Northwest that we were looking at. It was a, it was a great time. We, we, did some, we did some pretty massive projects. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it takes those projects to let folks know at the utility level that they can satisfy residential commercial demand with renewable energy, right? You've got, you, you need to have leaders step out, make decisions and implement these projects onto the grid as, as, as a demonstration that they work. That's right. This was back in 2000 and 2005 is when I started working in wind energy. And in the States, wind was about two or 3% penetrated. Uh, last I checked, they're closer to 10 now. So it was really something that was coming from Europe. And I, I was going to business school at the time and sort of looking for what would come next. I picked up a National Geographic magazine after oil. It was all about peak oil. And in the, you know, the, the fold-out section where they have a large picture in the middle of National Geographic, there were about 60 people standing shoulder to shoulder, and they were still shorter than the length of a full turbine blade. And I couldn't believe it. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to make a difference in the world and, you know, work in, in the space of energy, uh, which is just, you know, touches everybody's lives. That's great. So you use the term distributed generation. Obviously, the generation sources can be quite different. You referenced uh, some smaller hydro, but uh, focus on uh, solar and wind. So can you talk a little bit about Kendall's sustainable infrastructure and, and which of these generation capabilities um, do you do you see more in your mix? Absolutely. When we when we started, we looked a lot at distributed wind, sort of a thesis that maybe there's an opportunity here in distributed wind. We found it a little bit harder of a nut to crack than we had expected. One of the challenges that a wind turbine, utility scale wind turbine, is two three megawatts uh, in size today. Um, so call it six million dollars uh, for a three megawatt machine you're basically put all your money into one machine. And if it goes down, you're 100% offline. There's very little resiliency. Match that with supplies and storing supplies. These large wind farms, they have central storage facilities. They've got a full staff, you know, managing these machines. Doing it on a distributed scale just didn't make a ton of sense. Solar, however, and, you know, again, we started back in 2012. There was pretty much solar was sort of a, you know, it was the, the grant in lieu of was just starting to happen, kind of 
you know, so there was there was a lot of activity, but there wasn't a ton being done. And projects were going for six, seven bucks a watt, and, and it was really niche. Wherever there was a market, it was only because there were some pretty large incentives. To today, where we are, of course, we all know you could build a you know a ten megawatt facility for you know call it a, a buck ten, buck fifteen a watt. Um, the costs have come down so much. So distributed is really um, we've done a lot in solar, but where we see other things in distributed infrastructure are in distributed water. So we've got some small uh, called run of river on existing dams where we're developing these projects currently. Uh, we hope to build uh, our first one if we're uh, if things go according to plan, perhaps before the end of this first year, uh, this year here. And we're also looking at some distributed water treatment facilities, which is a, a newer space. There's a lot of nexus with with energy and the way it works, the way it's operated. And, you know, we see that as just the next evolution in, in really the world that we live in, in, in the, the, the distributed economy that we all live in today, that's in large part been enabled by remote monitoring. I mean, that's really enabled so much of the distributed infrastructure to, to go forward. So between remote metering, remote you know controls, and monitoring, it, it really has enabled the distributed uh, infrastructure uh, market to to really be born. Yeah, and huge value. Yeah. And John, you, you um, let's talk about the hardware piece because you made a couple of comments about the hardware that I think is really interesting. This is it's a challenge to 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 select the right hardware and integrate it into an existing utility grid. You mentioned the you know, that National Geographic photo with a large wind turbine blade that kind of, you know, spoke to you to, to drive you to the industry. And then you just made a comment about the some of the the, the electronics, the, the software piece that connects the, the asset with the grid in, in, in consumption. Uh, what, what are you seeing out there in the marketplace that's allowing for the rapid uptake of renewables? Is, is, there, is there significant changes in, in hardware that you're seeing that's making it easier for distributed generation to take place? I, I think a large part of it is is acceptance. Um, you know, the, the technology solutions are getting better and smarter and inverters are becoming way more sophisticated, I think, than, than I, I think a lot of us had sort of presupposed. Um, but it's the acceptance uh, of the utilities uh, that are allowing us to connect to the grid at these distribution levels. Historically, you know, we, we build our grid with resiliency in mind. So you've got a, a coverage factor. You always have more generation on the grid than demand so that on that one peak day, you've got enough to meet exactly what you need. And there's a balance that happens. But what that means is major parts of the grid are grossly overbuilt. Um, the distribution the distribution segment in particular, you know, everywhere is, is it's overbuilt, right, to accommodate for these things, these one-time peaks. And I think everybody realizes, the utilities as well, that using the lines to put distributed assets on them is an incredibly efficient way to get more electrons onto the system for very cheap, you know, almost zero additional build-out. You're rarely building new wires. Maybe you're upgrading a little a bay in a substation. But I, I think it's the acceptance generally that, hey, these intermittent resources aren't going to bring down the whole grid, that we do have enough resiliency built into it. We've got enough. I, I like to, I'm not a, an engineer, so I like to think of it as quote unquote shock absorbers. Um, engineers probably cringe when I say that, but you know, the capacitor banks and, and the, and the dynamic bar and 
and all the other ancillary services on the grid, that there's enough there to, to really manage and it, of the intermittency. And I think that's been the biggest part. I do think, you know, credit is definitely owed to, uh, you know, the engineers and the, and the suppliers that are putting together products that, you know, that can help condition the power as it comes on. But I think a lot of it is acceptance. John, um, just a quick question. I heard uh, the other day on the Interchange, that's a podcast provided by uh, Green Tech Media, and they were talking about power purchase agreements, how they're getting shorter. You just mentioned the infrastructure is becoming more readily acceptable by the utilities, but are you seeing that in, in your projects where the power purchase agreements are getting shorter and how, how they may they affect your, your clients? Yeah, so it's funny. The Newswire, Norton Rose Fulbright, just did a, a piece in August about financing era in a in sh- financing in an era of shorter PPAs. You know, there there are a couple of thoughts. Number one, look, the PPA gives security to a finance party, and that's ultimately where we sit. Fundamentally, we're an owner of assets, so we're looking for security when we build a twenty, thirty year asset. We want to make sure that we're going to make a certainty of revenue over time. Long-term PPAs grant that certainty. You know what you're going to receive for your power. Short-term PPAs give you certainty for maybe 10 years, but thereafter you don't know. In in the world of solar finance, it takes give or take 10 years to break even. So a PPA with 10 years basically means you're going to break even. And then you're subject to whatever regulations exist at that time, maybe the wholesale power markets at that time. There's a lot of variability. And there's a lot of risk. I, I think they I think they bring a lot of risk, and I think a lot of people aren't right properly valuing that risk. You can look at the the natural gas generators, and you know through the, the last thirty years, and you can look at every IPP that's gone bankrupt, which is probably eighty percent of them, in large part because they had natural gas plants that were uncontracted, and the markets went in the wrong directions. Power price for gas went up, price for electricity went down. And the project got collapsed. But all of them were financed with debt. All of them were financed by capital that took a risk. They were getting, on average, substantially higher IRRs than you see in the solar space. But, you know, a bankruptcy event wipes that all out anyway. So I I, I think there's a lot of risk, and I, I don't think it's truly being valued. That being said, just to maybe make a counterpoint to what I'm suggesting, if you can put power to the grid at a truly economic you should be a price taker, meaning we see a lot of PPAs where people are offering a 10% discount or a 20% discount to you know either wholesale or retail prices. Well, power from a solar project is just as good as power from a natural gas project. Why should it be 10% discounted or 15% discounted? And the reason is because people want this locked-in PPA. Well, if your project is fundamentally economic and you can hold Maybe there's an argument to say, hey, there's upside here if we go uncontracted or unhedged. I think you're probably seeing these more in the larger projects. Our projects in our sector, this distributed generation sector, from 200 kilowatts to maybe 10 megawatts, most of what we're doing is behind the meter or net metered or tariff-based. So we're not seeing a ton of that yet. There's a little bit of that down in the south, southeast, where you know the utilities, I think, are pushing back pretty hard on all uh generation that they don't own, those are markets that hadn't typically deregulated super nicely. And and I think that's sort of a a signal that the utilities are giving to the generators that are saying, hey, come on here at your own risk, but we're kind of 
we think we've we think we filled our quota of of getting renewables from third parties. That that's how I would read it. Good, John. That's uh, it's really helpful to give us a sense. And you've given us a, a great overview of technologies and some of the finance challenges. But uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about uh, Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure. Can you walk us through like who who's a typical client? How does a deal come together? What's the value that Kendall's gonna gonna provide in these situations? Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure is a development partner and finance partner. We provide development assistance through all stages of a project, and then we also control capital so that we can acquire and finance projects. Our our ultimate objective is to be an asset owner. We participate at much earlier stages of the process for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is to help local development partners bring more projects to market. A local development partner are the people that we work with the most. And, and our, our values are people first. What we believe is local businesses, small businesses, businesses in neighborhoods and communities and regions are the ones that are going to advance the real renewable agenda. These, a, a large national player isn't going to be the most efficient at going into a small town in you know, Idaho and bringing a project online. It's going to be a local development partner. It's going to be somebody that knows the, you know, that knows the community that knows the rules, that's, that's maybe been through permitting, maybe they know real estate, maybe they're not exactly a renewable energy person for the last 30 years, but they particularly have an advantage on developing projects. We work with groups like that, and that could be a, a couple of people. You know, uh, we actually have a group, a father and son team that we work with, and we've got groups that have you know 150 people on their staff. But what we do is we form a partnership with them, and we say, during development, let, we'll work together. We will share our expertise and our insights into markets uh, based on our experiences. We'll help you solve problems. Uh, we'll give you, you know, forms of documents and, and assist you with difficult negotiations. We'll be your problem-solving partner. And at the end of the day, when you get to the finish line, when you fully develop that project, at that point, we will then acquire it and we'll build it for you. know, We will fund the building of it. And most of our development partners are both, you know, they originate the land, so they, you know, acquire a site lease, they go through the permitting process. And then we usually find them when we start to work with them at that stage in the game. And typically they'll have 10 or 15 or 20 projects that they're developing all in, you know, in sequence here. And those of us that know development know there's no linear process. We can try to map it out, but some reason some projects go a lot quicker and some reason some go a lot slower. So we work with them on their portfolio of projects and we we, we really fancy ourselves as, as problem solvers. We want to make it as easy for them to close at the end of the day. See, a financial close is when a project is either sold or goes into financing or, or goes into construction. You need to find the dollars. We bring dollars. We, we have uh, funds that we manage and we control dollars that come into projects. We're able to build on balance sheet. And by doing that, it expedites closing. Number two, because we've been working in development, and we know the projects, it expedites closing. Number three, because we do multiple projects with the same developer, it expedites closing. You're probably starting to hear me saying it expedites closing. But deal friction is one of the largest and hidden costs that people never talk about in the industry. It takes an enormous amount of, uh, of person power on both the buying and the selling when they first come together to put a transaction together and get it closed. It's incredibly inefficient. So what we try to do is, you know, what we call a, a frictionless close. 
And by doing it in this manner, we're able to help developers put more projects through in a calendar year than they otherwise would have been able to. And that is way more valuable than trying to sell their project for two more pennies. And that's the real value proposition that we're we're generally bringing to development partners. That's great. Ron, you spent a lot of time... Uh, uh, seeing that uh, that deal friction when you're with National Grid, right? So I think about the transmission lines as an example of trying to deliver additional power to regions affecting a local area significantly, and then there's an awful lot of friction that results from from the, the from the, those those two sides in conflict. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really good point. I was on one project that by the time it was built, and when I started on the project, it was about it was about a decade. So it's just amazing the amount of permitting, the outreach that gets done at the utility scale level to get those projects in the ground. And that's, I think that's why, you know, the distributed energy market is, as John mentioned, it's just much more efficient way to provide resources to the grid. And I think, uh, John, you led by talking about um – seeking out local development partners, folks who, who know the landscape, the personalities, you know, how to move through a, a town government or state regulations. And that seems like a key part of, of your strategy and the, the reason Kendall's successful. Is that fair to say? It is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, we've built over 50 projects to date and, you know, every one of them is in a small local rural town. Most of them are rural towns. I mean, Business is done with people that that know the area, um, and we want to enable those companies, and we want to see them grow. I mean, our best our best feeling at the end of the day is knowing that we spent money in a local community, where that money is going to get reinvested in that local community, and that company is going to grow. Right. We work with a lot of young entrepreneurs, and we help them grow their businesses, and we love it. I mean, it's just a, a good feeling. John, do you get the sense? That do you do you reach out to these? sites that when you when you see them at a certain level of development or do you find that sites hear about your work you've done 50 projects and they say boy you know my my neighbor had six and my, my uh, i know this project that got across the line because kendall was there and, and they knew the ins and outs of the financing and the off takers well, which way is it you find yourself reaching out to to, to projects at a certain stage or, to, or folks come to you it's a little bit of both, and I'd probably say we're rarely reaching out to landowners or, you know, quote unquote, or projects themselves. We're reaching out and, and being sought out by developers, uh, by groups that have decided, hey, what we're going to do for our business is develop and build. We don't want to own, but we want to develop and build projects. And more times than not, our business comes in through referrals. Um, we've worked with groups now for ever since we've been. Since we've started, in fact, we closed the deal just yesterday with the group that we met, started working with five years ago. I mean, it's the whole relationship thing for us. Yeah. You get, we believe that you get to choose who you do business with, and you should like them. I don't think everybody does business that way. We've made a deliberate point, pick who we do business with, and it's, it's really it's paid dividends for everybody you know, on both sides of the table and, and all the project stakeholders and landowners. And I can't tell you the amount of projects that we've come into where maybe the landowner or the off-taker said, you know, we had some other group promise us that they were going to build this project and they didn't build it for us. But Kendall, the group that you're working with, they're doing it. And we said, yeah, we know they are. And 
And a lot of it is it's it's the two way. It's you know we're involved in the project, so we know where the you know how to solve the problems, and that's just that's just what it is. It's, yeah, it's and that's that, it's that's so key because for a lot of these communities, in some cases, technologies and uh, the utility decision makers that are you know, selecting grid assets for for many, it's it's still the first time. It's the first time the solar field is installed in this area. It's the first time they've integrated uh, wind at this at this um, in this ISO, right? So it becomes a first and. By having a, a group like yours who's been through it a number of times, you can take away some of that risk. You can de-risk it for these communities by saying, listen, we saw a similar problem in this area. This is how it was fixed, and we'll be with you through to make sure that it's financed and that, uh, that, it, that it's successful for your community. Exactly. I, I think you described it really well. Yeah, good. Ron, anything else before we let John go? Uh, just wanted to comment uh, on some of the longer term storage companies that I've been reading about, such as Form Energy and, and Energy Vault. Um, it, it seems to me that there's an influence of these types of companies that will make renewables actually a base load type of power play. So I, I would think that market will continue to grow for you, John. Yeah, storage is sort of the silver bullet. We, we didn't talk too much about it here. We've got some pretty particular views on it. But, you know, the, the more storage that can come on the grid, the more intermittency can be integrated. It becomes a really, uh, really complementary type of situation. Uh, I just share one, one little insight um, tidbit. I mean, I think you see, you know, there's the power producers, which is what we are. We own power plants. We produce power. And there are storage uh, providers. And I think there's, you know, there's a move to see independent storage providers, you know, that just sell their services. and. Uh, we believe that solar plus storage or renewable plus storage in an integrated system is is a, a very natural, is a, is a good, solid, A, investment, B, uh, product to put to the grid. We also think sort of uniquely that what we'd love to see is the utilities taking on a bigger role in owning this storage, to be honest. I'd love to see utilities getting the right to own more storage and then allow more independent generators to come online. So I think you see is there are these net metering caps and there's intermittency caps. And so we can't put any more renewables because we can't take it. And there's the whole utility interplay here. We'd love to see, you know, the utilities are saying, well, we're losing our revenue because of net metering. What I love to see the utility say is we'll be glad to have more net metering on the system. We're not going to make excuses about this being a problem, but let us rate base storage because storage is going back to one of the first comments I made. It's a resiliency. It's a resiliency factor. And that is why they, you know, get a regulated rate of return to make sure the grid is up and running. So I'd love to see more of that going that way. Well, as is always the case, uh, we've, uh, we're bumping up to our 20 minute limit here, but John, uh, it sounds like you're doing great work. And clearly this is a, this is an area that needs help. It's a complicated space and uh, we've got, there's a lot of uh, grid assets, coal fired, nuclear, natural gas that are, you know, coming off because it's, it's their time. And they need to be replaced with with a technology that can work. And, and folks like Kendall, uh, inve- sustainable infrastructure needs to be there to support these communities. So thanks for your work. Gosh, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, you know, it's it's really been a pleasure. Energy Matters to You is a great podcast. <laughs> well, thanks so much. <laughs> You're part of the family.
All right, very good. So once again, Kendall Sustainable Infrastructure. You have a nice website with a lot of uh, background on, uh, on on the company types of projects. So John, wish you the best of luck. And obviously, if uh, if we can be of any help, please feel free to reach back out to Ron and myself. Leo, Ron, thank you guys very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Outstanding. Thanks, John. Great. Thanks, John. All right. As always, it's a pleasure. It's great to uh, to meet new people, learn of uh, activity in, in the space. And I want to thank for folks for the comments and interest in, in downloads. As always, great to be part of Energy Matters to you. Thanks for your support. There's work to be done. Go make a difference.